have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. That is a series of excerpts from the famous I Have a Dream speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's one of my favourite public speeches of all time. It's one that I listen to every Martin Luther King Jr. day. And it's one that felt appropriate to open with for this week's episode of Magic Like This. If you're new here, welcome. You're listening to a C.S. Lewis book club podcast titled Magic Like This with your host, Christina Wallace. That's me. This is a podcast where we use the magical literary work of C.S. Lewis to dig deeper into our faith, our theology, our apologetics, our view of God or lack thereof as we wrestle with questions and curiosity and engage our intellectual mind and our emotional artistic hearts. And this season we are looking at The Screwtape Letters, which is a piece of fiction by Lewis. It's a series of letters written by Uncle Screwtape, who is a senior devil, to his nephew Wormwood, who is a junior devil. And the subject of every letter looks at various ways that Wormwood can tempt his particular patient, otherwise known as a human. And so this week, we are looking at a letter which really digs into essentially the concept of religious and political extremism, primarily political extremism, because 
if you've listened before, you'll know that there is some context here to the patient's life. So the patient is living on the cusp of World War II and they are about to be faced with the question of, do I fight in this war? Where do I stand on the subject of, of war itself, of taking a life? Do I become a patriot? Or do I become a pacifist, a conscientious objector, someone who is against war? And so this particular letter I find very fascinating, particularly that if you're listening to this in kind of live time, i.e. close to the time that this was released, it is currently December of 2023, I am full of hot chocolate at the minute, it's about 9pm on a Sunday evening and I've got a twinkling Christmas tree downstairs, but you might be listening to this in the middle of July next year, you might be listening to this five years down the road, so I know that I'm going to be dating this episode a little bit by mentioning the current time, but the current time feels quite relevant in lieu of this particular letter because we are on the cusp of an election year in the US. Now, a lot of people try to place my accent because it can be a bit difficult. I get people guessing that I'm Canadian, Irish, Scottish. I'm actually American, but I have lived in England for over a decade now. England is my home. England will remain my home unless God calls me away for probably the rest of my life and England felt like my home long before I moved here. England felt like my home my entire childhood growing up in the US. However, despite the fact that England is my home, America is still the country that brought me up and here in England we are very much impacted by things like US election years. So with it being Christmas and only a week's time, a time where people gather around the dinner table and often have discussions about religion and politics. The two topics that are most uh, inflammatory, shall we say, are usually the ones that you, you discuss with family members around the dinner table. And I have a feeling that if you are someone who's listening in the US or if you are someone who's listening anywhere around the world, but you're impacted by US politics, which unfortunately a lot of us are, you might be finding yourself in a situation where you feel like you are in a sort of split binary environment. Maybe you have family members of opposing political parties, maybe you have a very different political view to a family member who you'll be having dinner with this year, and even if you're listening to this way into the future, I think that it's probably safe to say that there has never been a moment in known recorded history that we haven't dealt with the challenge of opposing views and particularly within our closest circles. And so what I really wanted to focus in on with this letter is why I think it's a blessing to us in reminding us how to check ourselves. And I know maybe that sounds very patronizing and I don't mean it to be at all because all of the advice that I pick up from screw tape letters I am desperately trying to apply to myself I'm not just sitting here trying to lecture you on it and then not thinking that it's relevant to me but I think it is an excellent opportunity to check ourselves especially when we are going into an election year especially when we are going into the holidays and we have to see family members who maybe we don't agree with so I'm going to be leaning heavily on the text as you should really with a book club podcast, shouldn't you? And in my copy, I'm going to be diving in um, 
a few paragraphs into the letter, I'm, I'm nearly onto the third page before I start looking at quotable material. And what I do want to say, if you're reading along with us, and I really hope you are, there is a quote on the very first page of this letter that I desperately want to dive into. However, it feels a bit, um, I don't want to say it's unrelated to the rest of the content of this letter because it's not, it's not unrelated, but it's profoundly spot on to another area of life and culture and society that I feel I could unpack in an entire episode on its own, separate from the topic of extremism in politics and religion. And so I'm going to be making an additional bonus podcast episode exclusively for book club members. So if you're new here, I have a community. I shouldn't say I have it. It's not mine. I host it. I facilitate a book club community to accompany this podcast and that is over on Substack. It's at magiclikethis.substack.com and that is a space where we not only have discussions about screw tape letters and obviously in the future it will be whatever book we're on at the moment but I also post weekly newsletters over there as sort of a deep dive into that week's episode and what life experiences I am personally bringing to my interpretation of this letter so you get to know a little bit more about me but I write in such a way as to really hopefully engage you in a level of vulnerability and intimacy that allows you to see where God can be speaking to you in your own life so it's not just self-indulgent life writing I promise (laughs) and or at least I hope it's not and I also have exclusive podcast episodes over there Now, the exclusive podcast episodes and the community conversations are only for those who pay at the £5 a month tier to be part of the book club. However, the weekly newsletters are completely free. So if you would like to be either a free or paid member of book club, you can make that decision once you get there. Head on over to magiclikethis.substack.com. You can also hang out with us over on Instagram at magiclikethispodcast.com. That is a major place where I hang out, but I'm also on Pinterest, I'm on YouTube. You can find me, type in magic like this podcast and I should come up. Right, now, that aside, I'm just letting you know, if you've got this book in your hands or if you've recently read this letter, there's some stuff on the first page in a bit that I want to dive into, but I'm not going to do so in this episode. That will be over on Substack later this week. Okay, so here's where I am going to dive in. All extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy are to be encouraged. Now remember the enemy from Screwtape's point of view, Screwtape is a demon, so the enemy is God here. So that could be read as all extremes except extreme devotion to God are to be encouraged. Very fascinating thing to say. Later on he says, any small coterie bound together by some interest which other men dislike or ignore, tends to develop inside itself a hothouse mutual admiration and towards the outer world a great deal of pride and hatred which is entertained without shame because the cause, in inverted commas, is its sponsor and it is thought to be impersonal. Even when the little group exists originally for the enemy's own purposes, this remains true. We want the church 
to be small, not only that fewer men may know the enemy, but also that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. Or in England, they say clique. Same word. Now, I had a book club member ask me a couple of weeks ago, do you feel that the syntax, the, the sentence structure, the language of Lewis can be almost a bit of a barrier to today's readers because honestly <laughs> I have a master's degree in creative writing and I have a bachelor's degree in English literature and creative writing and even I sometimes have to reread Lewis multiple times I have to read a sentence five or six times before I fully access what he's trying to say purely because the syntax can feel like a bit of a barrier so I'm going to do a, a botched job attempt at modernizing what is being said here. Effectively, I think that Lewis is saying when we find some sort of common ground, some sort of club or group gathering, whatever, where everyone's gathered together on some sort of common ground of shared belief in a political view of some sort or a religious view for that matter but just some sort of shared worldview particularly if that worldview is chastised by the outside world and by the outside world I'm, I'm using inverted commas here but it's maybe not a popular view and so they can kind of find even further brotherhood and camaraderie or sisterhood for that matter and camaraderie for the fact that it's kind of like this us against the world mentality that they project. Another phrase for it you may have heard is an echo chamber. When you start to facilitate within your life a social group where everyone echoes your views on things and you find yourself feeling incredibly indignant towards the rest of the world and incredibly righteous in yourself and that can have you almost changing the way that you behave and treat other people who disagree with you but it's not personal so if you're rude to someone because they don't share your beliefs it's not personal it's all about the cause it's all about this impersonal cause which undoubtedly someone will believe is for the greater good, right? Not many people align themselves with a, a worldview that they don't believe is good, right? That That's not common. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, I'm just saying it's not common. And Lewis is basically saying a lot of people find themselves an echo chamber where they're emboldened by the shared beliefs of others emboldened so much so that they are rude to the outside world and they do it feeling completely justified because of the cause that they're all fighting for. And this can slip its way into the church. This feels like a moment where I need to pause and I'm just going to be really upfront with you. I recorded this episode already once and the audio quality, for whatever reason, I was recording in the same circumstances that I always record, but for whatever reason, the audio quality was so poor. And even after running it through software to try to save it, I couldn't save it. And I was devastated because it was such a fluent recording and the words flowed out so much easier than they're flowing out right now. It's 
10 past nine on a Sunday evening. I go to bed really early in the winter time because I definitely deal with uh, depression and tiredness in the winter and my mind is working slower and I feel less emboldened, I feel less impassioned than I did a few days ago when I first started digging into this letter with you. But I, whether this is true or not, the meaning I've chosen to take away from this failed attempt at recording, because this is the first time this has happened, you guys, it's, I've not had to re-record before. You've never had me in a tired state on a Sunday night. But I chose to take it as a sort of check from God that even my own passion about this subject was... Hmm, I don't want to say lending itself to extremism because I don't want to send a message that passion in itself is inherently an unhealthy extreme. I don't believe that it is. I believe passion is a gorgeous life force when when used in harmony with a love for a love for God and a relationship with him. I believe that our passion can be directed in such a way as to just like narrow in on on something beautiful and stunning and and bring to light things that other people who who don't have that same passion might not see but I think that my passion was maybe mixed with a little bit of pride I don't know I'm just guessing because I I don't necessarily feel like a deep conviction but I feel like a curiosity of like hmm I wonder if this failed because it wasn't laced with enough love as I spoke even though there was passion even though the words were flowing out of me much better than they are now right now I'm struggling to keep my eyes open but I'm I'm here and I'm showing up because I really care um I care about showing up regularly and on time for you guys and I care about showing up even when I am not well spoken even when I am not having the words flow out of me in that eloquent way that I always prize and hope I will I think that this letter hits the nail on the head, especially since since COVID and since since 2020, since that cocktail of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and election year and the insurrection and that absolutely all of the ramifications of that time, it echoed across the world and we felt it here. We felt the heat of injustice. We felt the, the stench of fear. And I personally felt the frustration of watching friendships dissolve because of the tension that rose to irreparable indignation. Depending on who shared your view or who disagreed with you. Everyone's opinion was suddenly a life and death thing. And I recognize that in some circumstances, it is a life and death thing. I honor that. I just quoted Martin Luther King Jr. because he was fighting for a life and death thing. And we'd still have to care about politics, about social justice. But I chose Martin Luther King because I believe that his speech was laced with a love born of his primary goal, his primary driver, his motivator, the true source of his passion, I really believe was a love for God. And I think that that love for God flowed into the mission that God set for him, emboldened him for the social justice that he believed was worth fighting for. But I 
I think he believed it was worth fighting for. Not only because, I mean, anyone who has love in their heart knows that a world with racism, sexism, any sorts of power structure that belittles one people group is a broken world. I think anyone with love in their heart knows that to be true. But I also think that anyone who truly knows God knows that it's not only true that we're in a broken world where sexism and racism and any ism thrives, but they also know that that wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't the way God designed it to be. That's a broken version of this, of this world that we live in. It's broken. It wasn't God's plan. But parts of the Lord's Prayer, I know I've mentioned the Lord's Prayer quite a few times in the last few episodes, but I just think there's so much more goodness in it than we give credit to sometimes because we've heard it so many times we just grow numb to it. But part of the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting to bring heaven to earth. I believe we're all invited and commissioned to fight to bring heaven to earth as well. But with our eyes set first on on God, with our eyes set first on that heartbreaking love that Jesus displayed on the cross, with our eyes set first on a relationship with the Holy Spirit who walks with us and talks with us every day, There's a lot of theology that I'm throwing out here. And if you're someone who's listening and you're new to Christianity or you're exploring the Christian faith and you don't know a lot of these terms, you know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, I would encourage you to maybe go back and listen to some of my previous episodes where I unpack that a little bit better. But also maybe ask a Christian friend if you have one or a pastor if you have access to one. And if you don't have any of those things, I mean, not only is there a wealth of information online, um, 10 Minute Bible Hour is a wonderful YouTube channel and podcast, but just open open a Bible, see if you can get your hands on one and start with the gospel. Start with John. That's always my, my favorite gospel to recommend to people. So sorry, that was just a, a side note because I recognize that People will be coming at this from different backgrounds and I don't want to, I don't want to patronize you, but I also don't want to assume that you know all these things that I'm talking about. But what I want to say is I believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting for an end to racism, but I believe that his primary goal was because he saw a world where God's original design ring true. Freedom is part of God's design. A world without racism and sexism and oppression is God's design. And when we keep our eyes on God, I believe that he emboldens us, equips us and empowers us to fight for those things that we care about. But when we have in in screw tape, it says any extreme apart from extreme devotion to God is to be encouraged. In other words, any extreme apart from extreme devotion to God serves demonic purposes or it can it can serve demonic purposes I'm not saying it's inherently demonic but when we're sitting around the Christmas table and we have opposing political views and we allow those views to eclipse our love for the person sitting across from us I believe we are engaging in an extreme that is apart from an extreme devotion to God 
an extreme devotion to God should lead us to love our neighbor even when we really don't agree with their political views, even when we care so much about our political views because we believe that our view is what's going to put an end to oppression and what's going to lead to a better world. And we believe that our neighbor's view is what's going to cause oppression. Even when we believe that, and I'm just going to pause for a moment and state the obvious, sometimes we speak in these hyperbolic extremes where if we're, you know, here in the UK, it's Labour Party and the Tory Party, the, the Conservative Party. Those are the two extreme differences or the two, I, I won't say that you're inherently extreme if you belong to one of those parties, but those are the two kind of polar opposites of the spectrum. And in the US, it's Republican and Democrat. And even if you are, for instance, a Democrat and someone you love is a Republican and you believe that the Republican way of doing things is just inherently more oppressive, even if you believe that, if you place your neighbor in that hyperbolic extreme of thinking that they are inherently the cause of all oppression, I am sorry, but you are probably acting as extreme as you are accusing your neighbor of being because not often have I come across someone who has opposing political views to me and found that they actually oppose my core values and my worldview of kindness and love for others. I often find that they share my worldview, that they also want an end to oppression. They just think that we need to get there in a different way. Now, does that mean that everyone's right? No, of course not. And when you feel particularly convicted about something, yes, of course, like, fight for that thing. But do it with a posture of love and do it with a posture of keeping God as your first center of attention. I can't think of a better phrase. We should be making the God who designed a perfect kingdom, who invited us to bring heaven to earth, we should be keeping him at the forefront of our motivation, of our goals, of what we care about. And through that relationship will flow a method of operating within our opposing views from a place of compassion. I really believe that. I really believe that we're lacking compassion. I've seen too many relationships come to an end over opposing political views. And where Lewis gets to in this letter is mentioning that sometimes that division is sown within the church. I'm going to repeat this quote. Grab my copy here. We want the church to be small, not only that fewer men may know the enemy, but also that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. If you're in a church, for instance, that starts encouraging you in election year to vote for a particular candidate, I think that's dangerous. I think that the moment that we start placing all our hopes in a candidate, in a, in a man or woman who is inherently not all-powerful, not all-loving, not all-just, not all-good, in lieu of a God who we have free access to, who is all of those things, who is perfect and all good and all loving and all, all just, I think that we've lost the plot. I think we've missed a trick. I think we've insert cliche here, but we've really, really just surrendered our freedom and our dignity to choose who and what we are primarily fighting for. Whatever social justice cause is close to your heart. 
let that be flowing from a commission from the God who made you and who loved you enough to give you that passion, to give you that inclination and who loved your neighbor enough that they invited you to fight for your neighbor, to fight for the end of oppression of your neighbor, even the neighbor that you disagree with. (laughs) Am I talking in circles? Maybe. I'm really tired. It's past my bedtime. But I think it'll make a bit more sense if I carry on. So I'm going to go to the next quote that I want to look at here. So in the context of this letter, the two opposing choices that are set in front of the patient are patriotism or pacifism in lieu of World War II. And it says, let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely a part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can provide in favour of the British war effort or of pacifism. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. I find that quote frightening. And again, I do... I do just want to say, like, I recognize that I am subject to this text just as much as everyone else. I may be hosting this podcast and trying to unpack it and teach it, but that doesn't mean that I am above it or outside of its advice. So this applies to me too. But I wonder how often we felt really emboldened or impassioned about something, some sort of political or social topic. I don't even want to go down and list some of the topics coming to my mind because I don't want you to be able to try and read a subtext in my language that isn't there and assume that you know what political view I have on these different social justice issues. But I'm sure you could think of quite a few that are in the headlines every election year um, in in various areas of, of social change. And I think that what I'm trying to say is this applies to me too, but I witness very often particularly in America, but I see it in England as well, this really awful trend, I've, I've heard it called in the US Christian nationalism, which is 100% the form of extremism that I think is, is the mascot for what Lewis is talking about here, but they basically use the Christian faith as a means to bolster their political agenda. Their faith is a means to a political end, not the other way around. So what I was saying is, essentially, we need to fight for whatever social justice or political goal is on our hearts from a place of being in deep connection with a God who wants a perfect world, a God who invites us to pray for on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer is not just for the future. That prayer is for right now. That prayer was 2,000 years ago, and it was given to us to continue to pray and enact right now. God, your kingdom come right now. Your will be done right now, not just in the future, right now. On earth, here, in this moment, as it is in heaven, in this moment. And when we make our our faith system merely an accessory to some sorts of other agenda, we have swapped out an eternity worldview for a very temporary worldview. 
Because let me tell you something, even though I am saying on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer for right now. And absolutely right now, we are in eternity right this second. Where we are right now matters. We are not just living for some future when Jesus comes back. We are living for now. We are invited into an eternity with God right now. But let me tell you, if we swap out that eternal view for those things we're fighting for in politics in this present moment, we are swapping out eternity for temporality. We are swapping out endless riches for temporary riches. And don't misunderstand me. I believe that these things that you care about in this world, I believe they matter. They matter deeply. They matter to God. They matter to humanity. They are part of bringing heaven to earth. But when they become our primary end and when our relationship with God is merely a means to an end. It, it no longer becomes a relationship. We just pigeonhole and use scripture to satisfy our own agenda. We take our eyes off the ball. We take our eyes off the real one who is worthy of our devotion, our passion, our extremism. We swap it out for something temporary. And that's when I think that we lose God's anointing. We lose God's wisdom. We lose relationships. Love is no longer laced into our language. And it becomes all, like Lewis says in this letter, impersonal because it's for the cause, it's for the greater good. No. Every time that we treat another person as though they are less than, if we slap a label on them like, oh, they're a liberal or oh, they're a conservative or oh, they're Labour or oh, they're Tory, and we stop seeing them, as individual people who have brought their own life experiences to, to their worldview. And they probably have a deep, complex story that still deserves to be heard, even if you don't agree with it. The minute we lose sight of how precious other people are, individual people, not just the masses, but individual people who we talk to and disagree with at the Christmas dinner table on Facebook, the minute we lose that view... We also, I believe, lose sight of that eternal kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven thing that we're fighting for when we fight to end oppression here. If we can't treat our neighbor with kindness, how are we going to fight to end mass oppression? If we can't treat someone who we disagree with politically with love and compassion, what gives us the right to fight for mass compassion and love and an end of oppression in this world? What gives us the right? The reality is that most of us are probably not going to put a mass end to some sort of injustice. I hope we will. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I certainly believe it's possible. But realistically, the conversation that you have with someone in line at the grocery store or around the dinner table, those are your opportunities to hold a lot of impact in fighting for that thing you care about, which I presume is to spread love and compassion and an end to oppression. I'm not saying you can't disagree. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be fighting for things on the basis that you believe that God is fighting for it too. I believe that's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. I believe that he fought to end racism and that fight is still going because he knew that God had never designed humanity to function with a hierarchical system 
on the basis of race or gender or religion or anything, but let what you fight for be a commission from God. Let a relationship and an intimacy with God inform how you fight. Don't make faith a means to an end. Our relationship with God is the end. Everything else is the means. Everything. Because that relationship with God is just the first step into an eternity where it says in scripture that there will come a day where there is no more sorrow or suffering or tears or even death. I know that sounds wild. I know that sounds like fantasy. Some might say it sounds like magic, but I believe that that world is coming. I believe that we're already commissioned to fight for it. And I believe that that commission is coming from a God who will guide our steps as we enter into that fight. And if we as Christians step outside of a relationship with God and only use God as an accessory to our own agendas, we've missed a trick. So this year, when you have a conversation with someone you disagree with and you can feel your blood start to boil, I say this from experience, I have a particular family member who likes to send me political messages under the assumption that I just inherently must agree with them. And it's frustrating. But when you feel your blood start to boil, I can guarantee you that if you just turn deeper into your political agenda, your, your blood's going to keep boiling even more and you're going to lose sight of who you are, of what inspired you to fight for whatever it is you believe in in the first place, to fight for whatever political agenda it is that you're fighting for. You're going to lose sight of the love that initially motivated that fight. But if you keep your eyes on God, you ask him to fill you with grace and peace in this moment where you're disagreeing with this person at Christmas or on Facebook, or at the picket lines, or in the polling booth. Hopefully not in the booth itself, you know, those are private when you vote, but you know what I mean. In lines, at the polls, whatever, whatever. You will find peace when you turn to God for strength in those disagreeing moments, in those heated conflicts. You won't find peace, you won't find the strength to live with the love that you want to live if you just push deeper into the political agenda. I'm not saying that what you care about doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that we're not commissioned to fight the good fight, to care about politics and care about our world. But what I am saying is that if your care is causing you to treat the people in your immediate circle with less than compassion, you're losing yourself. You're losing the person you want to be. And you're better than that. And God affords you far more dignity than that. I believe that we are all one day going to be able to join together and sing the beautiful words at the end of Martin Luther King's speech, free at last, free at last, free from oppression, free from war, free from slavery, free from racism, free from sexism, free from illness, free from relationship breakdown, free from cruelty, free from abuse, free from poverty, free from unkindness, free from extremism. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. If you're new here, I end every episode with a psalm or an excerpt from a psalm. And this week, we're looking at a piece of Psalm 73. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Just a reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or share it on your social media. Feel free to tag me at Magic Like This Podcast. Or if you're feeling really adventurous, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But if you don't have time to do any of those things and all you do is show up and listen, I'm so glad you're here. I pray that this blesses you. I pray that you feel equipped to recenter all of your passions on God first and then let everything else flow out of that. And I pray that you find a peace in doing that as you step into the Christmas season, if you're listening to this in lifetime. And if you're listening to this in July in 2026, <laughs> so glad you're here. Delighted to have you. And I pray that it's sunny where you are and you feel equally empowered to find peace in your relationships as you walk through life and fight for what you believe in. Thankfully, Lewis and God remain relevant no matter the time frame. <laughs> Be blessed, friends. We'll catch up next week. Take care.